You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Are, uh, we're rounding on our series here. We're starting to finish up. Uh, we're going to take the first half of chapter 16 today, and then we're going to take the rest of chapter 16 next week. And, uh, and yeah, so there's just going to be just some, some division in this little chapter. And then, like Nick said, we're excited to launch into a summer in a minor in the minors. I wanted to call it a summer in a minor, but he said that was not cool. So a summer in the minors. And uh, I would really, really encourage you to keep a, to, to walk along with us reading the Minor Prophets, by the time you get to the end of the summer and you've read an entire chunk of Scripture, you're going to be, um, yeah, it's just, the Minor Prophets are really intriguing, and so I'm pretty excited about that. But uh, today we're going to round up our uh, our First Corinthians series that we've been on for the last 17 weeks or so, and today we're going to talk a little bit about giving. And so in order to introduce that a little bit, um, like I said, I want to talk to you about giving, I want to talk to you about the theology of it, I also want to help you see the freedom that God has given you in giving. And uh, so hopefully you walk away from here, um, you know, my intent in all these things is not to make you feel too guilty, but to make you feel a little guilty, and to help you see that God has put something inside of you that is absolutely wonderful. Wonderful, like incredibly, like he's poured eternity into you and he's given you all these temporal things and to partner with him in giving is phenomenal. So we're going to, we're going to look at that. But uh, in order to introduce that, here we go. We need, um, I did the counting. Um, we need th- this section, the whole section. Stand up, please. Stand up. No, not you. <laughs> Sherry graduates, his brain shuts off, right? So, yeah. Okay. Um, you guys, uh, the, there's 104-ish people here, something like 104, 105, 106, I don't know who came down at the end, but there's a little over 100 people here, so the math was somewhat easy. You guys represent about 30% of the people that are here, okay? Um, I want you to make a teepee with your hands, a little house with your hands, okay? These guys represent what Americans spend annually on housing. So 30% of their income is house, yes, tiny house, big house, crumbly house, house that Brian built, you know, whatever it is. So, yes, uh, so these guys represent housing. Isn't that amazing? Like 30% of your, 30% of your income goes to housing, okay? Um, now, you guys, stand up. Oh, this whole section right here, this whole section right here. Okay, and I want you guys to make some muscles and flex at each other. Okay, I want you to make sure to flex at each other. Okay, these guys represent the amount. This is this is about uh, about twenty percent of the congregation. These guys these guys represent the twenty percent that Americans spend on insurance and health care. Okay. Insurance and healthcare. That includes insurance. It also includes things like medications and and then paying for your doctor bills. Right. Twenty percent of your income goes to insurance. Keep your yeah. Stay with your house. Stay with your your stuff. Okay. Um, now we're gonna get a little bit dicey here. So uh, this section, not you three in the back, but this section right here, stand up. And you guys, I want you to give me a little car action, a little little driving action. Okay, this is this is about uh, about fifteen to sixteen percent of your income goes to transportation, fuel costs, and taking care of a car. Right. So just look across the room here. Right. Housing, healthcare, and getting places. This is how much America spends just on that. 
Okay? Now, let's see. Um, here we go. We need 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So everybody in front of the soundboard, Olsons, you stay down. Uh, stand up. This is what is represented. This, these guys represent, uh, I want you to, to eat some stuff. That's food. Right there. That's food. Okay? That's food. Now, all you guys who are standing up, go ahead and sit down. All you guys who are standing up, go ahead and sit down. Okay? Now, there's more. Um, let's see. Uh, let, let's do... Yeah, Olsons, you guys stand up. All you guys. All the Olson clan and and all the people that are there. Yep. These guys represent... Um, let's see. What should we make them do? Um, let's see. Can you guys dance a little bit? Okay, good. They're excellent. They are the entertainment. This is what... <laughs> Woohoo! You can go ahead and sit down. That's what Americans spend on entertainment, about 5% of your budget. Okay, and then uh, let's see. Uh, you guys can all stand up, all you guys in the back, or just wave your hand or something like that. Uh, you guys represent miscellaneous. <laughs> yep, they're all scattered all over. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody's connected. They're just, yeah, they're just miscellaneous. Right? Just miscellaneous. Um, okay, now... Um, Let's just say the kids in the back, you can look at them. They're all adorable. They're all sitting around a table. Tina's got them actually all sitting around a table coloring. Isn't that fantastic? Good job, Tina. She's a miracle worker. You got a good one there, Hunter. Okay, uh, they represent clothing. And we thank, we thank the Lord that they are all clothed this morning. So, All right, now, for the obvious illustration... You guys in the back, all three of you, stand up. Okay? That represents the amount of charitable donations. Charitable donations. Thank you for your charity, you guys. You may have a seat. That's the amount of charitable donations that Americans on average give. It's about 3%. Jack's actually up quite a bit. used to be about 2.2%, something like that, when I first started ministry. Now it's up a little bit over 3 So 3% of your, of your income, of Americans' income, goes to uh, charitable donations. Charitable donations. Now, this is a, just a, an interesting picture, right? Like you saw the amount that we spend on housing, insurance, making sure we're healthy and safe, and getting places where we need to go. It was the vast majority of everything that goes out of our pockets. And then you throw in food, and that's everything. And then we have just a little smattering of miscellaneous and some entertainment and stuff like that. But we spend double the amount on entertainment as we do on charity. Double on the amount of entertainment that we do on charity. Okay? Uh, giving is something that is a powerful thing. It is a powerful thing. In fact, in my estimation, it is one of the most powerful things that I know. Um, And I I love this definition of giving. Uh, It is this. Giving is the rearranging of the heart via material goods. Giving is the rearranging of the heart via material goods. And oftentimes we think it the total reverse, right? Like, I will give when I feel like it or when my heart says to no, I, th- I think the way that God has arranged us, the way that He has built us, is that there is a direct line between the heart and the wallet. And when we give of our stuff, our time, our energy, our money, all of our non-return, non-free, whatever, non, uh, our, our, our uh, finite resources, they, they, yeah, that's good brain, thank you. Um, our finite resources, when we give of that stuff, it changes our heart. And so as we give, 
something changes in us. Nick was mentioning earlier that uh, John and Jesse and Jamin and your pastor and Vanessa, (laughs) we all went to the Philippines a couple years ago, right? And as we gave of this actual, like, we actually didn't give any money, right? Because the money just all came in. But we did give of time and comfort. And what happened, Jesse? Your heart changed. And now he's dragging nine people, kicking and screaming over the Philippines. And I had to drag him kicking and screaming the first time. But once you give of something, your heart changes. Many of you guys work with Young Life. Mary's just talking about that. John, you've worked with Young Life. Who here has worked with Young Life at least once in their life? Raise your hand. Okay, we have a bunch of Young Life burnouts. Um, Yeah, so uh, when you do that, right, your heart changes for these teenagers. You begin to see them and you see their culture and what happens inside of you. You go, wow, I need to help. Those of you who have gotten to know some of the college students here, the last six years we've been working at this ministry that's close enough to the college campus, trying to stir people's hearts up and minds towards the beauty and the glory of God and the the, the, the amazing things that Jesus has for them. And as we've worked with college students, right, our hearts have changed to the point where we love them. I mean, we love seeing them go for the summer so we can relax for a little bit. But by the time the fall starts rolling around, you hear these people say, man, I can't wait for the college students to get back. And it becomes this exciting moment where we're waiting for you guys to come back and be with us because when you give, your heart gets rearranged. Now, we were made this way. Way back in the first pages of the book of Genesis, right when God created everything, what he did was he knelt down and he breathed into us the breath of life. And as he, as man becomes this living creature, as God breathes his breath into mankind, and as we stand up from the dust, what happens is God says, hey, here's what I need you to do. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth. And then I want you to subdue and rule over it. I want you to, I want you to take care of this place like I have. I want you to act like my co-regent is the word that we would use. But it's a act like a, a mini king. I've given you this responsibility. I want you to find things. I want you to fix things. I want you to go bring life out to this place. If you read the opening pages of Genesis, what you see is you see it's a walled off garden that Adam and Eve are placed in. But outside of the garden are all of these beautiful things. There's precious stones and precious metals and stuff that's out there. And it's as if God instituted engineering right in the first couple pages of of Scripture where He says, go out, find the stuff, make amazing things, and be the rulers of over this world. Rule in a way that God wants to be ruling over this world. Not with an iron fist, not with, a, not with military might. That is the way that the world has said that we rule. But God has done that in a way where it is about giving, and it is about sacrifice, and it is about humility, and it is about service, and it is about infrastructure, and it's about all these things, right? And so God places that inside of us. He places giving inside of you. He makes you, He creates you to be a steward. We have been given this world to do what God does to create and innovate and utilize the stuff to create a beautiful paradise for humans and birds and trees and creeping things and you name it. But what you see is, once humanity gets their hands on that, what do we do? We bring destruction everywhere. Right? That's what we commonly call sin. 
It's going apart from God's call and His direction, right? Like God wants you to build this paradise, this beautiful garden, and He wants you to bring His rule and His reign. He wants you to be His partners. But we go, hey, thanks God, and we blow stuff up for 4th of July. Merco, yep, thank you. But Genesis clearly actually links this idea of the image image of God to giving and ruling and taking care of things. We're created to be reflections of God. And who is God? The ultimate giver. He is the ultimate giver. He has given so much. He gives life. He gives breath. He gives order. He gives instruction. He gives relationship. He gives love. He gives of His Son. He gives of all of these things. He's the ultimate giver. And He says, let us make man in our image. And as man comes forth... We are to be the ultimate givers. The ultimate givers. But as we do this little exercise, what do we see? It's the leftovers. It's the leftovers. It should make sense to us as we see this world that something goes wrong in the human heart and the first change that happens is we shift from givers to takers. To takers. From givers to takers. See, the people of God, the children of God, the ones who have been given a new name, a new identity, these ones should be the ones who, who get giving. We understand it. Why? Because we've been given so much. We've been given life and salvation. We've been given a chance. We've been given hope. We've been given the ability to pray to a God who actually listens and does things. We've been given so much. We of all people should understand what giving is. Yet actually, if we compared it, it's a funny thing. Christian giving is still at about 2.5%. We're actually giving less than the rest of the United States by the numbers. That should not be. It should not be. See, the people of God should get this. Now today, as we jump into 1 Corinthians, what we're going to do is, I think what Paul's doing is he's giving some simple instruction. And I think it's the thing that we're missing. Like He gives us some really simple instruction about the way he expects the Corinthian church to be walking and to be living. And as this expectation is there, I think what we should be doing is we should be looking at this and going, hey, we need to pay attention to a place maybe in our lives where something has gone wonky and wrong. Remember, 1 Corinthians is this whole, uh, the whole thing from the first chapter to the end is all about this church that has gone wrong and has become selfish and self-centered and self-motivated. It's all about, no, the church is for me. It's about making me feel good. It's about entertaining me. That's what the 1 Corinthian church is like. And so we enter this and we read it and it should be leaping right off the page. And so I hope today what we're going to see is we're going to see an ethic or a norm of the Christian church that Paul is laying out. And as he lays out this ethic and this norm, Norm, we're going to be able to look at our lives and go, huh, huh, is that us? So here we go. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. I'm going to end at 12. Now, about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. 
Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while, even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door of effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him, send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. And we'll pick up the rest next week. But here's what I want you to be able to see in this particular passage. Paul has some simple instructions. The first one's easy. In the first four verses, this is the one we all think of when we talk about giving. But he's talking about financial faithfulness. Right? Like finances and giving of the stuff that God has placed inside of your wallet. God's people have always been held to account on the way that they give of their things. From the beginning pages of Genesis all the way to the end towards Revelation, what you're going to see as a major theme is that God gives you things and the job that you then have is to steward those things for the good of this world. To give of those things so that healing and help and and, and the, the correct things happen in this world so that people are not suffering or dying This is something that flows through the New Testament as well and has the truth of the reality of the fact that we have brothers and sisters in Christ kind of overlaid over top of it. And what you see is the church is expected as God's people particularly to watch out for other churches. Paul is talking about there's a famine in Jerusalem. There's some hardship happening in Jerusalem. And all of the rest of the churches are pitching in in order to help out the church in Jerusalem. Because they're starving. They're starving. And so he's asking, hey, it's not about just getting finances so we can build multi-million dollar facilities. It's not about getting finances so that we can do whatever makes us feel great. It's not about getting finances so that we can have a jet or anything weird like that. It is about there are people starving that are your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Can you not give them a few bucks and sacrifice some Starbucks? The church is expected as God's people to take care of the needs of brothers and sisters. Generosity of the brothers and the church taking care of each other, this is the norm of the biblical church. Taking care of the needs that are here. It's the norm. It is supposed to be normative for us to take care of each other's financial needs. Here's one of the funny things though. The first step in that is we have to know each other's financial needs. Anybody here ever have to ask for money? Fairy Lens, I'm looking at you. Anybody here ever have to ask for money? How hard is it, those of you who've had to ask? Worst thing ever. Worst thing ever. Why? Because it says, because something inside of you has been raised to say, I don't need no help and I don't need nobody. What do you think has gone wrong in the church? Why do you think we're giving less and less? Part of it's because we don't even ask. If, if you trust that I love you, if I trust that you love me, and I come to you and say, look, man, I, 
child, I can't make ends meet. My kids aren't going to be able to eat. Can I have 15 bucks? Do you have anything to spare? If you love me, are you going to fork that over? You better believe it. In fact, you're probably going to come and buy groceries with me, right? But I have to be able to communicate that. And we have to trust the love that we have for one another. But he doesn't stop there. He also talks in verses 5 through 9 about not just financial well-being or financial, um, not well-being, financial uh, faithfulness, but missions mindfulness. He starts talking about all of the work that he has to do. All of the work that Paul is doing, all the work that Timothy is doing, all the work that Apollos is doing. See, God's people has, have also always been held to account on how they obey the word of the Lord and the, the mission of God. How they take care of those who have been placed under their care, who may not be people who are my family, but people who are outside of my realm. See, Paul is going from place to place delivering the gospel. Timothy is going from place to place strengthening churches. Apollos is going from place to place bringing evangelism. And these guys, what Paul's going is like, if they come by, take care of them. Why should we take care of them? Because they're on our team. They're the quarterbacks. Take care of them. It's like the only time I've ever used a sports reference in like the last five years. I just want just to throw that out there. That was a, whew, a moment. Of course, I talk about quarterbacks because my team has one. Um, anyway, so, uh, sorry, uh, okay, verse 10 through 12, uh, and he continues on, and he talks not just about that, but about actually having humble hospitality, which is tied to that mission's mindfulness. Know that there are people coming and going, and you're connected to them, but when they come, open your home. Open your home. See, God's people have always been held to account on how they welcome the stranger and the wanderer in their land. Always. And they always will. God is moving people in the nations right now. What we are facing, if you haven't studied global statistics, we are facing an unprecedented movement of people around this world. There are people coming into this country. Sometimes we see them on the news and we're like, ah, build a wall, right? Sometimes we see other things that are happening. But there are people moving around this world. And God has always said to His people, hey, if there are people in your midst that are not from this place, how welcoming are you? How welcoming are you? For the most part, I think, well, unfortunately, we're like, you know what? Let me drive into my, let me use my garage door opener, drive into my garage door, shut the garage door, go into my house, and never talk to anybody, let alone somebody who's not like me. So Paul rattles through all of these things, and he's talking about the norm of what Christianity should look like. But then we can juxtapose this against the very words of Jesus. And I think we have it on a slide here in Matthew. This is one of my favorite passages. This is one of A.B. Simpson's favorite passages, Christian Missionary Alliance founder. Uh, at least the last sentence or the last uh, verse. But it says this. This is the words of Jesus. Now listen to this, right? And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. It's a powerful
beautiful passage, right? This is the words of Jesus. When God comes to this earth and somebody asks him, what should we be looking for when the end's coming? This is what he rattles off. He's like, hey, here's what's going to happen. Okay, first of all, the brothers and sisters, they're going to hate one another. They're going to start backbiting. There's going to be this thing called social media, and it's going to be horrible. Right? Well, it's not in there, but that's what's going to happen. Is right, like there's going to be this fighting with one another. This like, you know what? You disagree with what I disagree with, and the way you read the Bible is the wrong way, and the way I read the Bible is the right way. So get out of my face, you heretic scum! Right? Like that's going to happen. And then there's many false prophets that are going to come up and be like, "Hey, hey, hey come this way, come this way! I got this great idea. Let's just throw the Bible out." And then it says, because lawlessness will be increased. Because we will feel, we will do whatever we feel like doing. The love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. These are the words of Jesus. So I'm going to wrap up this way today. Where are you at? And I want you to take an honest stock of this, okay? Where are you at? Where's your love level? Cold or hot? Remember playing that game, hotter and colder and hotter and colder when you were a kid? Yeah, hotter, colder, hotter, colder. Are you, when it comes to the love side of things, do you just hear colder, 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 colder? Where's your love level at? Are you feeling like your love maybe has grown cold? Do you look at the dreamers of this world and the people who want to love other people by feeding them hot dogs in the park? or opening up their home to strangers, or giving of their cash to anybody who asks on the street, you look at those dreamers and roll your eyes and say, someday they'll learn that that's just enabling. Or do you look at your own life and when God says, hey, you know what, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. I want you to go see something. I want you to go find out what the brothers are doing in the Middle East. And you go... There ain't no brothers in the Middle East, Lord. Haven't you read the news? Is your heart getting cold? Is your love getting cold? What I want to do is, if it is, if you're in a place where your heart has gotten cold, and I think by the statistics, we can see fairly clearly that I think the love of the people of God in this day and age is growing colder and colder, although I do see some amazing things happening here. But I want to help those of you who are maybe feeling your heart getting colder and just give you these simple tweaks. And I'm not talking about a 12-step program or a 3-step program or anything like that, but some simple things you can work into your life that as you do what will change your heart remember we talked about you're not gonna you're not gonna just it's not gonna, your heart's not just gonna all of a sudden implode and explode with giving right like we actually have to make some changes in our lives to be open to the idea of giving here's some just some suggestions and they're you might think they're lame but the first one is we have to get burdened by the the suffering of this world I know no other way to be burdened with someone suffering than to actually see it on their face. I know no other way to be burdened by somebody's suffering than to see it on their face. If you hear about Jesse Perigo and you're you're talking, to, you know, you've heard about his cancer, totally different than when you're sitting in his room. Totally different than when you're sitting in his room. There's no other way to feel the burden of the suffering in this world than to see it face to face. 
When these guys go to the Philippines, they're going to be looking at the suffering of these people. When those guys come over here, they look at the suffering of us. There is no other way to see the suffering of this world than to be face to face with it. Do some research. Watch these Alliance videos, not just because I want you, you know, we're, we're not trying to brainwash you with the Alliance stuff. They're just great videos to see the way the world is working all around you. Or, for crying out loud, take a trip to another country and go visit the brothers and sisters. Take a trip to northern India. But watch out what you're doing, because in northern India, Christians are getting killed by the hundreds and thousands. And you will be a tall white person trying to walk through India. But you go to northern India and you're going to find churches that are meeting under a blue tarp in the middle of the forest because if they don't, in the middle of the jungle, if they don't meet under this blue tarp in the middle of the jungle, they meet in town, they're going to die. If we see that, you're going to be rattled with the suffering of this world. And something will change in your heart. Or the next one, have your heart broken by the sin of this world. Again, same thing. I don't think you can have your heart broken by sin until you see it face to face. Go to a few AA meetings. Go hang out at the Hope Center. Going back to India. Go to India where you're going to see people praying to these wooden statues. Go see the brokenness of the sin of this world. There are people in this world that need Jesus everywhere. And the funny thing is, they actually want you to come. They want you to come. There are some areas, some governments in this world that don't want you there, but there are people in this world that need Jesus and they want you to come. They want you to know them. And then the third one, become humbly aware of your place in this world and in God's mission. You know, God has placed you as a part of the local body to start working with people here. Ted shared this a few weeks ago. That was fantastic, right? Like we had this missions moment where Scott Wiggins came in, talked about stuff that was going in around the world. And then the week after, we got a chance to be able to see what's happening right here in Rapid City. God has placed you in a part of this local body to do something with your faith. But He's also placed you in a global body to go do something with your faith. You know, I was thinking about this before. Nick was talking about the Fagerlands and how we went from the five of us, now they're taking nine, and he joked and said, maybe someday all you guys are going to go. Wouldn't it be awesome to have a mission Sunday where we don't have church because everybody's in a different country? Amen. Here's that moment, I want to check it. Because here's that moment, maybe there's a place in your heart where it's going, you dreamer, dream on how little faith we have sometimes. What would it take for all of us to go somewhere else, some other culture? And maybe we have to cancel church for three weeks, gathering together so that we can go be the church somewhere else. How amazing would that be? And what would that say about the faith of the people of Common Ground and the culture of this church? How would it change everything? It would change everything. It would change everything. 
But as we're humbly aware of our place in this mission of God, right? Like God has given you the keys to life and death and salvation. He has given you the message of Jesus Christ. He has given you finances. He has given you a job. He has given you a house, whether it's tiny or small. He's given you health care. He's given you a transportation. He's given you all these things to use for His mission and His purpose. For His mission and His purpose, right? He's given us these things to get busy doing the stuff that He wants us to do. And I will tell you that as our hearts are transformed, as our lives are changed by giving and opening our homes and and doing all of the things that God has laid out for us, as our hearts change, you will see that this mission is what you were created for. And as you walk in step with that mission and you feel the glory of God smiling down on you as you're doing the things that God has intended for you to do, nothing else will, nothing else will satisfy. Not a single thing else will satisfy. And you'll be wrecked for the rest of your life. And you'll go to work on Monday like, oh my goodness, I have to do this again. I just want to serve Jesus. Until he breaks your heart and says, hey, guess what? That's what I gave you a job for. Serve me there. Right? That's the process. That's the process. Romans chapter 12 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, as you look at God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, lay yourselves down. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. And then you will be no longer conformed by the pattern of this world, but you will become transformed in the renewing of your mind, and you will be able to hear and attest what the will of the Lord is. That's the process, right? Like, look at God's mercy. Look at what He's done. Lay your life down at His feet as a humble act of worship and say, take me wherever you want me to go. I will go even if it costs me everything. And then as you do, you will be transformed in the renewing of your mind and you're going to be able to actually hear the will of the Lord. It's a powerful thing. See, I'm here, I'm here today to lead you into communion. We have these tables set up here. This table represents a free gift that God has given you. But make no mistake about it, it may be a free gift, but it ain't no cheap gift. This is an incredibly costly gift. And it costs Jesus His life. And so the act of this, what we do is we come to the table and we come and we lay ourselves down at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, You did this for me. I trade you lives. Give me yours. I give you mine. Give me yours. I'll give you mine. This gift is free, but it is not cheap. And in communion, we come to the table, we lay down our lives, taking up Christ's life. And I'm just going to ask you this. Are you the person who has done this? Or have you often been just taking? This is an exchange, right? Like we come and we lay our lives down. There's nothing magical about these uh, boxed up matzah and uh, the Welch's grape juice that's been sitting in the fridge for you know the last eight weeks or whatever. There's nothing magical about this stuff, right? But the process of coming and laying your life down, there's something incredibly extraordinary and, and incredibly uh, amazing about that. Like there's something that is going to happen as you lay your life down in front of Jesus. So as we do, I'm going to prepare your minds for this. I'm going to ask you some questions. I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you the person 
that at the end of your life, on the day when you're laying in a box or an urn, are you the person that people are going to line up and say, I am only here because that person laid their life down. I am only here because they took a step into the uncomfortable. I'm only here because of how much they cared and they loved and they opened their home for me. Are you the person who's known by the giving nature of Jesus Christ? Are you a person who gave and gave and gave until people saw Jesus? How you're wrestling with that is not up to me. I'm not here to tell you. I am definitely not here to tell you like, hey, here's, here's your issues. What I'm here to tell you is, it is natural, it is normal, and we are created to be givers. We are created to take care of people on this earth. We are created to be stewards of God's good creation. We are created to give the things that God has given to us, not take them. We are created to do that. And I'm telling you that when you, if you're struggling with this and you're like, no, actually, I am not much of a giver. When you move into that realm, Jesus changes things. He opens your eyes to see the beauty of what this all is as you lay down your life at whatever cost he asks. We are to check our hearts before we come to the communion table. So that's why I ask that. Where are you at? Where are you at? Many of you, I know where you're at. Like you have been giving until it hurts. And sometimes you just get worn out and you're like, you know what? I want to give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. And some of you are going, yeah, well, you know, someday, Brian, you'll grow up and you'll finally realize that you're just enabling people. I'll let you wrestle with that. At the communion table, we're here to check our hearts. So I ask that you do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have Matt come up and the worship team come up. And Matt's just going to plunk through some notes uh, for a little while. Not too loud or crazy or anything like that. But I want you to be, I want you to do this. What I want you to do is I want you to ask God to bring someone to mind. And maybe you need to give of your time and go spend a little bit of time with them. Maybe you need to give of your finances and help them out. Maybe you need to give of your encouragement and actually write that person a note and encourage them a little bit. Whatever it is, I don't know, just, I just ask that you would have God show, show you somebody, bring somebody to mind that you need to give in some way something to them today. And with that person in mind, come down to the communion table and ask Jesus to help you give to that person. And lay your life down at His foot at his feet and say your life for mine your life for mine Lord Jesus I pray that we would be a people who who give that we wouldn't just be people who give finances because I know that's that's often the hot button Lord but that we would give of our time our energy our money uh, Lord as a church that we would give of our people resources that we would give until it hurts and that we would go until it hurts and that we would raise up people who give and go until it hurts. Lord, I pray that we would be those people 
That we will reflect your character and your nature. That we will reflect who you are as the ultimate giver. And as you've changed us and you've placed your spirit inside of us, make us people who will give. And Lord, I pray that you will be bringing people to mind. Maybe there's a coworker that you haven't been seeing eye to eye with. And, and we need to give of our forgiveness. Maybe there's a family member who is just hurting because of something we said. And so we need to give of our humility. Or maybe there's somebody in this, in this city of Rapid City that we see all the time, we see every day, and they ask us for a couple of bucks or whatever. Lord, maybe we need to give of our time and sit down and get to know them. Maybe there's a spouse, a wife or a husband, who needs more of us. May we sit down and give them our heart. Maybe there's a camp who needs some counselors. May we give of ourselves to that stuff. Lord, there are immeasurable opportunities to give and you are the immeasurable giver. So give us the heart that we need to lay our lives down at your feet. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.